Hi everybody, this is Rizwan Chaudhry and I'm delighted to be introducing you to the very first Phil Finish podcast which has been sponsored by Abijek. And this show aims to share expertise on all aspects of injectables, vaccines and aseptic Phil Finish. In fact, we're very excited to launch this podcast which is going to be running over 10 episodes this season to focus on various topics including facility design, regulatory, quality, supply chain management and AR, VR to name just a few. And today, I'm very delighted to say our very first guest is Les Edwards, who's Vice President of Technology and Business Development at Scan USA. And he's going to be talking about current trends in isolation technology and vaccine production. So, Les, first of all, it's lovely to meet you and welcome to the show. Thank you for being our very first guest. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be part of it. Well, Les, before we start talking about current trends in isolation technology and vaccine production, would you mind giving viewers who are not familiar with Scan USA a little bit about the company and also your own background? Yes, sure. Uh, so Scan US, uh, well, I'll start off with myself. I've been with Scan for the last uh, 11 years. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm the Vice President of Technology and Business Development. But what that really means is that uh, I'm in charge of making sure that the products get applied to what they need to be applied to for our customers. And, and we have a better process understanding of, of how they're being used. So we're always trying to build our service organization and try to help our customers better utilize our products. Of course, we want to develop the technology as well, get faster, better, stronger as a company. But that's kind of what we do or what my role is at ScanUS. Scan in general, we're the global leader in isolation technology for aseptic isolators. So uh, it's very timely that we're talking about uh, vaccine manufacturing here because we, we believe through estimates anyhow that about one out of three vaccines in the world are actually manufactured in scan isolators. So it's it's interesting that that we get a chance to talk about uh, vaccine manufacturing uh, in this day. Brilliant. And Les, have you just said that, then there is obviously no one better to talk about the current trends than you then. So let's start with the very first question, which is, uh, what do you see as the main drivers for isolation technology for vaccine manufacturing within the last two to five years? Well, it started off, there There was a transition going from conventional clean room technology into using other barrier type systems like grabs and other things to improve the quality. And then isolation technology has really become kind of the de facto standard for first class manufacturing. It's kind of the gold standard now for aseptic manufacturing. Of course, today, the main drivers are you know, capacity and flexibility. Right. Okay. And is there an identifiable trend? in the type of fitting lines customers are asking you to design? Well, um, it's kind of going in, in two different directions. So there's a lot of small-scale manufacturing that was occurring, and the the trend was definitely going that way with cell and gene therapy and a lot of customized, personalized medicines. But at the same time, COVID happened. So there was a boom in we need billions of doses as quickly as possible. So capacity ended up being taking over again, kind of the old fashioned way of uh, getting more product out as quickly as possible. Well, you mentioned COVID there. So how has that impacted biopharma companies' needs and behaviors? I mean, are they still seeking speciality custom design lines or are they focused on short delivery time? Both, I'd say, but still it's been interesting. We have two different kind of types of, of clients. We still have the big pharma clients who want to customize and turn it into their system. But we also have a lot of contract manufacturing people who are utilizing the, the more advanced isolation technology that want to take a good, solid design and make it churn out product as quickly as possible. So if I had to pick one over the other, 
I would say that because of COVID, people are taking more standard design lines and they want capacity and they want it quickly and they want to deploy that capital and deploy that capacity as early as possible. Right. Okay. And and obviously because of COVID, there's been extensive travel restrictions. So how has that impacted how you design, deliver and validate this filling equipment? So designing and building is one thing. And always they they going back to the to the previous question, standard is better, standard is faster. What you've done before, we know it's gonna work. But when we know it's gonna work, there's also uh, you know, delivering the equipment is only half of the of the battle. We have to get the equipment up and running. We need to train operators. We need to get the system qualified, get regulatory approval, things like that. So a lot of those things are all on fast track as well. So we need to deploy resources. With the travel restrictions, it's thrown up even more unique challenges because, you know, SCAN as an organization, we are based in Switzerland. So like a lot of other European manufacturers of, of a lot of this filling equipment and isolation technology equipment, we needed to be able to respond within the borders of the United States to be able to actually start up and qualify and test all this equipment. We couldn't fly people over from Switzerland all the time to do all the, uh, quote, hard work. So we had to really build our infrastructure in the United States to be able to do that. We were planning on doing it anyhow. COVID gave us a gentle nudge, I'll say, in that direction, <laughs> yeah. where uh, our five-year plan got accelerated to uh, let's do it next month um, type of uh, acceleration patterns here. But we also did a lot of new technologies where we did remote FATs with a lot of people. So we used you know, VR goggles and um, webcams and and people tolerated things that they would never tolerate before, you know, in terms of both standardization and also um, how they tested and, and accepted equipment because they had to. And what we found it actually worked. You know, people are you can do business remotely. And, you know, our our sales have grown, grown tremendously over this time, as have a lot of the filling line manufacturers and things. But you would think that there would be a contraction in, in the industry because our salespeople haven't been able to go out and see customers. But turns out that's not necessary <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, so especially when you're trying to give medicine for those who are suffering from it. So, as you mentioned about virtual reality. So do you think these new forms of digital support are here to stay? And also, how do you think that will impact you know, vaccine manufacturing for the next two to five years? It's a great question. We're, you know, we deployed these tools here because, again, we had to. We had to use them in order to utilize mock-ups originally. So what we, we would do in the design phase, uh, we'd use 3D modeling and, and uh, advanced tools to be able to utilize the engineering design. But then we did them during factory acceptance testing, as I was saying. But now we're actually using them in service as well. So we use them in the startup and qualification of the equipment and the ongoing maintenance. So if you sign up for you know 24-7 service with our company, you get a set of AR goggles and we actually have that as a, a virtual support system. So we can see what you're seeing and, and really help help the customer. And it gets us working more closely with the customer. Again, first, because we had a tool that we were forced to use. Now we've realized the benefit of that. So absolutely. Yeah, I also think it has an impact on sustainability as well, doesn't it? Because I think with all the companies now, looking ahead to seeing how they can become more sustainable. The whole virtual reality and digitalized aspects of the service make it that you can do things remotely, as you say, and makes it a bit more sustainable overall as a business. 
Absolutely, our uh, our customers are are demanding it, and our investors, as a as a public health company, they want us to lower our CO2 footprint, and uh, it's certainly reducing intercontinental travel as one of our cost saving measures. Actually, is a uh, planet saving measure as well. Right now, what do you expect for vaccine manufacturing in the next two to five years? I mean, do you expect a contraction in the need for future capacity or continued expansion? There's kind of two things going on. To be honest, I think that there's going to be a bit of a glut of capacity. So people are still buying lines now. But COVID's a great example of corona-type viruses need to be, uh, they, they mutate very easily. And they're a, a moving target, similar to flu. The flu vaccine changes every year. We need to reformulate it. It will probably maybe be the same thing for uh, COVID-type vaccines. So there's going to be more of a need for vaccinations, but also vaccine technology in general, not just for infectious diseases, but also for fighting cancers and things like that, is a kind of a new a new way of formulating drug product and a new way to attack disease is having your own immune system build its own defenses against it. And we use you know vaccine style technology, but we're also using cell and gene therapy. And a lot of that stuff ends up being very small scale. So I do see, you know, the very large scale broad products like this, we probably will have a little excess capacity in the in the end, but there's going to be a transition into some of the small scale stuff as well. Well then how has vaccine manufacturing technology impacted your future plans to provide solutions for customers? Typically we we are building on two two tracks. We have two different plants really that are separated. We have the uh, the small scale modular, build it fast, build it based on known designs and, and get stuff out there that can be used for small scale lines. Uh, and then we have uh, the ability to flex over and build more capacity for large scale if there is, God forbid, another pandemic of another something else coming down the line, because I don't think it's going to be 100 years to the next one. <laughs> maybe it'll be five years, maybe it'll be 10 years or 20 years. But we need to be able to respond to it, and a lot of a lot of governments are uh, wanting to build that capacity within their countries too, because you can see a lot of political impacts of how the United States and Europe, as wealthier countries, were able to build their own vaccine capacity. But was that fair to the rest of the world? You know, and it also becomes a matter of self-preservation as well. You know, if if a virus is able to mutate in the rest of the world and propagate, it's in the first world countries own best interest to have uh, good manufacturing capacity and spread that around around the rest of the world. So it's it's a rather dramatic political awakening that happened at the same time as this this pandemic. Yeah, 100% agree with that. So do you see a relationship then between cell and gene therapy innovations and recent vaccine technology? I think as I was saying a little bit earlier, I touched on, you know, the, the cell and gene therapy is getting closer and closer to the patient. And that's going to be used more for genetic diseases, preventing disease, and also curing things like uh, various cancers and the like. I see vaccine manufacturing being just one slice of that cell and gene world, but I also see the large-scale manufacturing for large populations needing to get done. And there's going to be a lot of capacity and higher quality capacity, more mobile capacity in the future. So you want to be able to do local manufacturing, working with companies that are non-governmental agencies in uh, second world and third world countries to be able to build capacity there. 
is going to be a huge change in the industry, and it's going to require a lot of these same technologies to be utilized, but also be simplified and more turnkey generated so it's easy to build capacity very quickly. So, Les, that's really great what you've just said to me. One question I do have to ask you, though, is that one huge topic, obviously, within the industry is about supply chain and the impact it's having on pharma. So how has the supply chain issues impacted SCAN and your customers? And how have you overcome those? And actually looking ahead, do you think they're here to stay or do you think we'll be able to resolve them going forward? A very interesting question, very timely question. I mean, we're, we are in the midst of a recovery from a pandemic and a, a recovery from a global recession. And while we're doing that, we're trying to work through lots of supply chain issues. So the initial thoughts people have is, you know, what about computer chips? What about the cost of stainless steel? You know, all of those things have gone up and you know, chips are, are tough to come by. But you would think, well, an isolator doesn't use that many chips, but it really does. We have small chips embedded in our air handling systems, just in the fan filter unit. And that one small item can throw off the delivery of an entire large-scale isolator system. We have our HMIs, you know, they're computer-based human-machine interfaces that are required to run all of this equipment. And then you get to the logistics of just shipping this equipment overseas. Sure. We had... We have a global manufacturing platform where we manufacture different parts of different equipment in different countries, and the cost of shifting stuff from one place to the other was kind of well within our grasp. During COVID, sometimes our logistics costs, they didn't go up 25, 30%. They doubled, tripled, sometimes went up five times. And it was a dramatic challenge for us to not only get product to our customers, but also handle the cost implications of that in the context of something that was, you know, you thought was fixed price and, and well-known and, you know, you can handle small variances, but when stuff triples and quadruples overnight, it really makes a challenge. So yeah, we work through it like everybody else. And I got to say our, our customers in the pharmaceutical industry were very understanding and they uh, got into problem solving mode with us. And they, they worked with us side by side to make sure that they got deeper into our operations and we got deeper into theirs to kind of help understand each other better so we could solve some of these problems. Brilliant. Thanks, Liz. And one other question, sorry, because you just mentioned it in your answer there about chips. It, it struck me how much is AI or machine learning now being incorporated into the fill finish process? Because is it something now which has been incorporated? And is that something you can see developing more in the future? It's definitely something that's that's coming out in our next generation. But I would say... Right now, it's not a huge impact, but it's about to be. Uh, we have more robotics, more personalized medicine type uh, systems, more intelligent systems. We're looking at predictive maintenance and a lot of other systems that all involve not just artificial intelligence, but also more interaction and interface with purchasing systems and building management systems and things like that, where it used to be some data connected. Now they want real-time responses. They want to actually use that data uh, in a smart sort of way uh, to help get more efficiency for their filling lines and more higher quality, monitor quality for every single bit of product that goes out, even vial by vial. So all of this is is definitely coming in the next five to 10 years. And um, it's going to going to hit you like a ton of bricks if you're not already working on it. Brilliant, Liz. Well, thank you very much for answering that. Thank you.
Well, Les, I really appreciate taking time out to talk to me in our very first ever episode of Feel Finish. It's been really interesting learning more about the topic from you. So if people would like to know more about SCAR and the different technologies that you offer around isolation technology, where can they get more information? Easiest way is to go on our website at www.scan.com, and that's SCAN with S-K-A-N. Uh, so we'll look forward to anybody visiting there, and then you can reach out to anybody around the world from our, our global sales group, and they're happy to talk to you about their products. Fantastic. Thank you very much. There you go, listeners. I hope you found that useful. If you'd like to learn more, as Les said, you can check out the SCAN website, which is scan.com forward slash en if you want to speak in english obviously you can do it in german as well uh, and also if you'd like to listen to the podcast and uh, suggest future topics and please visit our website which is www.feelfinishpodcast.com so all that's time to say is les thank you very much for listening and thank you listeners for listening to this and i look forward to speaking to you next time and until next time stay well bye-bye And now a brief word from this episode's sponsor. Appyject is helping companies fill finish their injectable medicines and vaccines in scalable pre-filled delivery devices using blow, fill, seal, aseptic technology. To learn more or explore how Appyject can help your company solve its injectable drug delivery challenges, visit www.appyject.com. Copyright Appyject. All rights reserved. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, sponsor, speaker's employer, or any other organization or individual mentioned.